God the Father of all men, ruler of all nations, master of the universe, Lord of all creation. Can it be that we are the people of the different terms that we could use to refer to those who are faithful to God. Sometimes we just call them the faithful. <laughs> you know, we might even call them the believers in God. And depending on if you're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, you know, if, you, if you're looking in the Old Testament, you might call them the children of God or the children of, of Israel. And in the New Testament, you might refer to them as the church or saints or, or some other, any number of different terms that could be used for them. However, there is a term that I think that we, we don't talk about very much, but it is mentioned um, in both Testaments, and that is the idea of God's garden, that we are described as God's garden. Now, there's several reasons why God likes gardens and, and why gardens are connected, because you know a, a really interesting thing about talking about gardens, that's how the Bible both begins in the book of Genesis with the Garden of Eden, but it also ends with this new creation and this garden that is kind of reestablished. But all in the midst of it, God's people are from time to time described as a garden. And there's some interesting images that, that come into place whenever you think about God's garden. So let's think about these things together whenever you think of a garden. I want you to think about kind of some of the things that come to your mind. Obviously, when you think of a garden, you think of plants, right? And, and a lot of times it's flowers. But I can assure you that when you read about God's garden in the Bible, and when you read about the people of God, it's not always, you know, like in this nice picture right here, it's not always just the sunshine and the roses. You know, there's some negative things along the way too. There's things that well, in order for you to have a garden, it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? All the way back with the Garden of Eden. That's one of the reasons, uh, that's one of the first things that God uh, gives the tasks to Adam and Eve is to take care of the garden. And even in uh, the gardens, whenever you have this connection of the sunshine and, and the roses, um, you know, so to speak, 
the sunshine, if you're not careful enough around it, and if you don't have the, the proper protection, it can burn you, can't it? You can get a sunburn. And those roses, you know, if you kind of look down a little bit on the plant, you'll see that they have thorns. Every rose bush that I'm, I'm aware of has some type of thorns on there, and a lot of other plants do as well. So even in gardens, among taking this time and, and how you have all this beauty, you can still have some things that could be negative if not handled properly. So when we look at God's garden, we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5. Now, in Isaiah 5, this is kind of familiar because we typically get um, Jesus's version of it because Jesus, whenever he speaks about it in the New Testament, he has his own version, but it's a little different. But you can tell it's very similar to what's stated in Isaiah 5. And for anybody with ears to hear, they would have recognized exactly what Jesus was doing. He was referencing Isaiah 5 right here. And look at how much effort God put in to his garden. How much effort God put into his people. In Isaiah chapter 5, let, let's hear um, from verses 1 through 7 right here. Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. See, this is that image of God's garden. There are some negative things that have come up. In, in fact, this image that's being used, it's kind of like a, a big parable. It's kind of like this story. And, and of course, we're not talking about an actual vineyard. We're talking about, as verse 7 says, this vineyard that is being described right here, it is the nation of Israel. It is the people of God, the chosen ones of God. And we see that what he was looking for, what he was expecting from them, he expected justice and he was looking for justice. He was expecting righteousness and he was looking for righteousness. Now he has seen those things in times past of the faithful. But during Isaiah's day right here, he wasn't seeing those things. He was seeing bloodshed. He was seeing cries of distress. And the way that he describes this vineyard, look at how much care and, and effort God, God gave for this. You know, we can easily look at the last part of this. And sometimes people who want to have a negative view about God or a negative view about God in the Old Testament, they might look at around like verse 5. They might see this and say, oh, well, he's doing all these things to destroy the garden. Okay, back up, though. 
because you're missing the first four verses. And whenever you read these first four verses, you see how much effort, you see how much care God gave to them. See, sometimes as people read the, the Old Testament, they look at what God did for his people whenever, uh, did to his people whenever he disciplined them. And they say, well, how, how could this be a loving God? You have to back up in the story because you're, you're jumping into it in the midst of it. You're jumping into it like at round verse five. Back up and look at the first four verses. What does God do to this vineyard? What does God do to this garden? And when you look at verse two, okay, so he dug it up. He's preparing it. He's clearing it of all these stones. He planted it with the choice of vine. So he's done everything that he can. Now, also some of this other language, he built this watchtower. Now, this would be that you'd want that watchtower to, uh, you know, kind of look over um, the, the produce and make sure everything was going to go as, as well as it's going to go, as well as it could go. And then you also have this wine press that was important for a vineyard, of course. So all of these things God did. He set up everything to prosper. He set up the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah. He set them up to prosper. But what happened? Well, he was expecting, and he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Well, verse 4 says, What more could have been done for my vineyard than what he had already done? God has done so much for us. God has done so much for his people time and time and time again throughout the Hebrew Bible and throughout the pages of the New Testament. And oftentimes... We've not been the most faithful in return. We have yielded bad fruit. And God disciplines. You know, God has his, his moment that he will go only so far. And then after that, that's where we get verse 5. You look at what he talks about. What he's going to do with his vineyard is he's going to take away this hedge. He's going to take away this, this protection. He's going to take away some of the, the beneficial things that he has done for it so that it will be destroyed. He's going to break down this wall. It's going to be trampled. It's connected in verse 6 with a wasteland. He's not going to prune it, not going to cultivate it. These briars, these thorns, all these bad things he's going to allow to grow. And that's actually what we see with the nation of, of Israel, really. Time and time again, whenever they back so far away from what God wants from them, what God said is he kind of hands them over to his own devices and allows them to crumble from within. But notice what God has done. All that love that he is, has done to, to provide everything for it to be good. He looked for justice. He looked for righteousness. But he heard cries of distress. All he saw was bloodshed. That's a disappointing view. Now, when we get into the pages of the New Testament, we see the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. Yes, there was a negative time in which God really allowed his people to go into to exile. He, he sent his people into exile. But then he promised that they would return. And whenever they returned, he also promised that there was going to be this anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that we know from the New Testament, that he is going to come and he is going to do great things. And now we see that, that God's view is not just about one nation of Israel, but it's all of the nations. And in the book of Romans, we still are going to be looking at this garden imagery, but now we're going to go away from vines and, and a vineyard, and we're going to switch to an olive tree now. Romans chapter 11. Now, I'm also switching the translations right here because, to be completely honest with you, I tend to prefer the new uh, international version of the Bible. But as I was reading this, 
I just realized it was getting really wordy and a little confusing. And in all honesty, this passage is a, it's a part of scripture that you really need to be clear about what's going on. And so here is the, the clear talk. And this, this version is from the easy to read version. And I'm using this version because it's easy to read and you can understand it. So now listen to this about the olive tree here and what God has done in the New Testament. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 21. It is as if some of the branches from an olive tree have been broken off and the branch of a wild olive tree has been joined to that first tree. If you are not a Jew, you are the same as a wild branch, and you now share the strength and the life of the first tree. So in verse 17, he's speaking to the Gentiles, and he's explaining to them that, look, they are not naturally part of this, um, this, this olive tree. The olive tree is representative of Israel, and what he is saying right there is that they are like a wild um, olive branch, and they... Um, this image that he's going to, to be using is that they are grafted in, they're joined in to the strength of this first tree. But how should we respond about that, being Gentiles? Verse 18 says, But don't act as if you are better than those branches that were cut off. You have no reason to be proud of yourself because you don't give life to the root. The root gives life to you. You might say branches were broken off so that I could be joined to their tree. That is true, but those branches were broken off because they did not believe. And you continue to be part of the tree only because you believe. Don't be proud, but be afraid. If God did not let the natural branches of that tree stay, he will not let you stay if you stop believing. This is what it comes down to. This is why we call them believers in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, because that's always something that God has asked for us. We don't need to right now because the blood of Christ that has cleansed us and the salvation that we have been given as Gentiles, that we've been grafted into this thing that God has been doing long before um, you, you know, Jesus ever set foot on this earth. This plan of God is one that he already had all this plan. He already had this, this tree, this olive tree that was producing fruit. And now we see that there were these branches. They were these Jewish people that they were broken off. So that others could be grafted in. Now they were broken off because of their disbelief. And Paul reminds the Gentiles here. He says don't become arrogant. Don't start to think that you're better. Than those other branches that were broken off. He says that in verse 18. Because look. You're not the one that gives life. God is the one that gives us life. And yes the branches were broken off in verse 19. So that, that we could be grafted in. So that we could be joined in. But. Those other branches, the, the only reason why we are a part of this tree is because we believe. Now, if we stop believing, we'll be broken off as well. And guess what? The Jewish branches, if they start believing again, they'll be grafted in. In fact, it's all a lot easier for them to be grafted in. That's because it makes perfect sense for a Jew to be a follower of God. Because that's what they were completely designed for. That's what everything about their nation, about their religion, about everything is intended to bring about. It's not always so with all the Gentiles, all these other nations. They might have gone after all these other different types of God, gods. But God has had a plan to bring all of the people in and allow all of them to be a part of this olive 
tree. God is the one that gives us this life. If we keep reading, we'll see even more. Verses 22 through 24. He says, so you see that God is kind, but he can also be very strict. He punishes those who stop following him, but he is kind to you if you continue trusting in his kindness. If you don't continue depending on him, you will be cut off from the tree. And if the Jews will believe in God again, he will accept them back. He is able to put them back where they were. It is not natural for a wild branch to become a part of a good tree, but you non-Jewish people are like a branch cut from a wild olive tree, and you are joined to a good olive tree. But those Jews are like a branch that grew from the good tree, so surely they can be joined, joined to their own tree again. He's using this same image and goes into even uh, greater details, talking about how, yes, those other trees were broken off. They were broken off because of their disbelief. We have been grafted in because of our belief, only because of our belief. And what we see in God is he is kind, verse 22 says, but he is also strict. There is a balance between these two things. We see that even among the people of Israel, he was looking for justice. Guess what? Whenever you you have justice, that means that sometimes it kind of seems like it's strict. Sometimes it seems harsh. Well, it seems harsh whenever someone's in the wrong. That's because they are opposed to justice. God is kind. God's kindness has been given to us beyond what we could imagine. But he is also very strict. We need to recognize both of those things about it and recognize that God is the one that gives us life. That is a reason why we are called branches. We're not the tree. We're the branches. The tree is God. The, the God is the one that gives us life. We are simply called to believe in him. We are called to put our trust in him. And this, this image of the, uh, the olive tree continues on. We're going to skip down a few verses and pick back up in verse 32 now. Verses 32 through the end of this chapter, he says, all people have refused to obey God. So now he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, every single person. They have refused to obey God at some point or another. And he has put them all together as people who don't obey him so that he can show mercy to everyone. Yes, God's riches are very great. His wisdom and knowledge have no end. No one can explain what God decides. No one can understand his ways. As the scripture says, who can know what is on the Lord's mind? Who is able to give him advice? Who has ever given God anything? God owes nothing to anyone. Yes, God made all things and everything continues through him and for him. To God be the glory forever. Amen. And in this, this final you know, passage that we see here, God is the one who he has made all things. He is the one who has done all these great things for his people throughout time, those who have faith in him. He has done everything he possibly could to make the vineyard produce good fruit. Now, it's up to us as to whether or not we take hold of the great things that God has done for us, just like what God was doing great things among the people of Israel. He is willing to show mercy to everyone. He is willing to do all these things. What can we do to God? You know, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe anyone anything. God has made all things and every single thing. It continues through him and for him. You know, that also includes us, right? That's why Paul ends with this statement. To God be the glory forever. 
We need to live our lives in such a way that we produce good fruit. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, in keeping with faithfulness to God. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh! 